Hey everybody, Little Mermaid coming right up. First, a quick note from Jake, the pastor who's a master of cinema, and me, Nathan, your humble and obedient host about the fact of the episode that is coming out, which as we record this, we are in the middle of coronavirus. Yeah, we weren't when we recorded the episode, but we are now. And we just want to let you guys know that we are still here for you. And we know you might be holed up with a lot of kids and running through Disney's ouvoir. And mm -hmm. so as long as we're able to keep getting into the studio and recording, we're going to keep giving you content that is going to try to help you process the movies and entertainment that you're watching in a way that's biblical, thoughtful, and sober. Yeah. I call it babysitter evaluation. We're going to help you evaluate your quarantine babysitter. There you go. Who should you choose <laughs> to, to make your kids shut up for two hours? Maybe not Little Mermaid. Maybe, no, yeah. Almost definitely not Little Mermaid, as we'll talk about for the next hour, hour and a half, whatever this podcast yeah. Sleeping Beauty, in. thumbs up. Yeah. Lots. Cinderella, really, thumbs up. I think Little Mermaid actually might be our number, maybe one of our number one, don't use it as a babysitter movies from Disney+. Plus. I mean, at least from this Disney princess. Yeah, from the uh, don't use Guardians of the Galaxy too. Yeah, but from the from the princess series, from the animated classics line. Yeah, this might be one of the naughtiest. Yeah, one of the most transgressive. One of the in most any number of ways, and in, in ways that destructive surprised me. Yeah, coming back to it. It's still fun. It's still got you know great great songs. Yeah, musical numbers and all that jazz. And all that jazz. Yeah, well, there's another thing that has great musical numbers, but might not be the most <laughs> don't, morally don't uplifting your kids. <laughs> program. <laughs> if you're thinking of turning on Chicago, Chicago. for your kids, <laughs> we are against it here on any of the movies. I'm 100% unashamedly opposed to you doing that. Yeah, really, just Bob Fosse is not a good babysitter. That is the sanity of the movies guarantee. Anything else we need to say before? We're going to keep coming out with these no matter what happens, unless we can't because of what happens. But yeah, maybe we'll do the episode where we're on Skype. Maybe Jake will be in a hazmat suit and we'll be surrounded by Demogorgons. I don't really, I haven't really read about the coronavirus. I'm not sure how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I assume there are uh, Demogorgons. I don't think there are Demogorgons. <laughs> but so long as we're able, we're going to keep coming at you guys. So That's right. And there will be less Stranger Things references, generally speaking. Three there are lots of things that would be better to catch up on than Stranger Things during this time, in my opinion. You know what I think is fun to catch up on? If you're just a, a Netflix head, it, that I, I think Little West Wing never hurt. Just see an, a pathetically idealistic idea of how democracy works and all those happy liberals running our country. And a making Little it West great. Wing. Yeah. What did, what did you think I said? I couldn't understand. I was just sitting here thinking. It sounded like you said little by swing. Little by swing. Little by swing. Yeah, no, West Wing. I was like swing. What is? What are you talking about? If you just want some crackling dialogue and some fun scenarios that are bright and kind of happy and patriotic, then and and won't tax your brain too much, but also will keep you involved. I think West Wing would be my recommendation. Well, what would you recommend, Jake? Oh, I don't know. If you're someone nothing. who hates happiness and wit and America, what would you recommend, Jake, <laughs> to someone like that? I wouldn't know what to recommend because <laughs> I love wit, happiness, and America. Uh, what would you recommend? What would Jake recommend? What an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should just go for it. Well, you know, Nathan, <laughs> one thing that I might recommend is that people watch The Clone Wars. That's right. And for, a, 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 I know times are tight right now, but for a very low amount, they can go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies and get- Watch along with us. Watch along with us. You yeah. set me up to be the cynical one. Thanks for that. <laughs> Folks, I didn't mean, Jake, Jake, Jake did not come into this thing meaning to make a sales pitch. He just genuinely loves Clone Wars that much. And so he should. Clone Wars is really awesome. I love it. I'm really enjoying it. If you want to hear my thoughts, you do have to go behind the paywall. But I just really like it. I think it's great. So It's good TV. I mean, it's it's really silly and kiddish sometimes, but there's some great ideas at play there. Yep. And if you can forgive and a little- what a fun sandbox to be playing in. Absolutely. I've been, one of my quarantine activities has been to read ahead the great book, <laughs> Dune, which we're doing later this year for the booking. Ah. And I think it's going to be a fun sci-fi, but man, what a 
dense mythology that you have to learn about the Benny Jesuit order and the pink Bible and the this and the that and the other thing. And it's, it just makes you appreciate fun lightsabers and ray and guns. All and, and all that jazz. And all that jazz. Exactly. I think a lot of people love Dune. I think I might love Dune too. I'm not complaining about Dune. I'm just saying it's an interesting thing to contrast with Clone Wars because Clone Wars is a lot of fun. Anyway, we'll be back with Lord Willing with Beauty and the Beast next time. Yeah, but before we'll be back with Beauty and the Beast, we're going to talk about The Little Mermaid. Yep. Before you be our guest, you can join us. Under the sea. (sighs) Under the sea. All right. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Disney Princess Edition, and we're finally to the movies that were around when we were. Not that we were waiting for that, really. I mean, we're not, we're not, what's the word, ageists? Uh, We're not, we're not. Recency we all have recency bias, yeah. Yeah, we do have recency bias sometimes. Well, I mean, everybody does. Everybody but. does, but we actually really like Sleeping Beauty, for example, and that movie predates us by about 30 years. Yep. But today, oh, I'm Nathan, that's Jake. Yo. We are talking about The Little Mermaid, quite yep. an important movie historically for the Disney Corporation, kind of launched the... Renaissance. The Renaissance, the Disney Renaissance, which if you don't know what that is, it is the second golden era of animation. You had your Snow White, you had your Pinocchio, you had all those first run Disney classics. And then you had a dry spell where through the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, people started to assume that animation was just a dumb thing for kids. And Disney was making movies like The Black Cauldron that didn't make money and were kind of weird and critics didn't take them seriously and they just hadn't really figured out how to bring their brand into the modern world and you know watching something like oliver and company it's kind of just weird to watch them struggle with let's get billy joel to sing some songs sing some songs that'll bring them in and i don't know maybe people like that i guess i don't mind it but people a lot of people have nostalgia for a lot of those things but and and a lot of them are good i remember as a kid really digging the oliver and company like trailer commercial vibe and the thing that they did with with mcdonald's or whatever Mm -hmm. and my parents never caring to bother and then i mean never actually getting to watch it which in the (laughs) after that after that that era when we get into the late 80s early 90s it's unthinkable your parents would have to be monsters child abusers not to take you to so, see the latest Disney. That's right. Yeah. Because it just was the thing. Absolutely. The thing yeah. that everybody saw, the and family the Little Mermaid is the thing that made that. So it's probably important to know the team that worked on The Little Mermaid had previously worked on a movie that I think kind of ushered in the Disney Renaissance, even though it wasn't part of it, which is The Great Mouse Detective. And that's a fun movie. It's a yeah, Basil of Baker Street. Basil of Baker Street. Kids really like it. It doesn't have the crossover appeal or just the what's the word? The awesomeness of the actual Disney Renaissance films. It's not something that your parents are going to want to go back and back to again and again and again. But you can see the animation getting more sophisticated. You can see computer animation start to come in with the big clock sequence. You know, yep. there's some action. There's some. Yeah. It's just a more sophisticated kind of a movie than what had been coming before. Mm-hmm. And that leads us into the Disney Renaissance, which started with The Little Mermaid, where they suddenly said, you know what? We're going to go back to fairy tales. We're going to spend a lot it of... Needs, it needs to feel big, beautiful, epic. Right. We're going to spend money on this. I think they spent like, I don't know, have the stats that in front of me, but it was double or triple what they'd been spending on there. And it, like, this is our A feature. This is not a programmer for kids. This is family entertainment and we are gonna put the time put the effort into it they also got a team named Mencken and ashman to write songs for it they knocked it out of the park they knocked it out of the park and howard ashman a lot of people credit him with the disney renaissance because he helped push them towards just doing broadway which is what i think a lot of people actually really respond to and love about little mermaid beauty and the beast aladdin they're just broadway formula movies um, with show tunes with classic kind of Broadway numbers there's the what I want song where the hero sings about what they want in the first act and then there's a goofy comic big extravaganza number like under the sea or be be our guest and then the bad guy usually has a number and there's a really great love ballad these are all things that come from the 20th century stage and 
it was really sort of codified that that's what should be. Like if you watch the old Disney movies, yeah, they have musical numbers and there are musicals, but it's just not as codified. It's not, it's more like we need to get some pop songs in here so that people will yeah. like it because that's what's done in these kinds of movies. The idea of just having big Broadway showstoppers and the sophisticated storytelling, you know, it's not just the mice making a dress or something like that. It's singing Cinderella. Yeah, singing Cinderella. It's we are going to express character and action and story through the song. these songs. Yeah. We're moving the plot forward. We're gonna here. figure out exactly who Belle is, who Ariel is, who Ursula is. Who Ursula is. I mean my my kids I had one of my kids ask, they were confused early on if like they felt subversion. What they felt was is the daddy a bad guy and mm-hmm. is is she a, the good guy? Is Ursula the good guy? Yeah, is Ursula the good guy was a question that was asked. That's fascinating. Well, that's the other thing. On. That's the other thing to talk about with this movie. I, I looked at some reviews at the time and what everybody was really excited about was, wow, this is the first time we have semi three-dimensional characters in a Disney movie. Like this Ariel chick actually feels like a real teenage girl who yeah. has real desires and wants something and can't have it and, and responds just about like your own daughter or yourself. And dad's complicated. He's scared for his daughter and he's got that disciplinary and authoritarian streak, but also he's soft. Yeah, he's gonna discipline her and then he's gonna... Feel bad about it and ask Sebastian if he was too hard on her. Right. And, and that happens. I don't think that there's a scene, there's a number of like discipline scenes and I don't think that they ever don't have him look sad and confused and scared as he afterwards walks, yeah. as he walks away. Never once. It all seems actually a little thin, and we'll talk about how we re- reacted to this movie, too, but I guess I'll just say this now. To me, it all actually feels pretty thin compared to what, hap- what they did afterwards, even compared to Beauty and the Beast, which to my mind is the real quantum leap in Disney storytelling. Yep. But it was pretty groundbreaking then, I guess. I mean, you it was, it was striking the number of reviews I read where they said, Ariel does not just feel like the passive Disney princess that we've come to expect. She feels like a real girl. And that in and of itself is pretty special. Huh. Um, and and then, of, then of course, everybody loved Sebastian and everybody loved Ursula. But yeah. why wouldn't you? Yeah. So let's, I think that's really all the context that people need. Let's talk about this movie, Jake. All right. What do you think about The Little Mermaid? So... It's been a long time since I've seen it. Have you seen it as an adult before this, or is it just something from your childhood? Um, I think I saw it like in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was probably the last time I had watched it. But I had this idea, this expectation of it being that, giving that same vibe that you expect when you open on the Sahara in The Lion King mm-hmm. or something like that of... This whole beautiful, vast underwater, vast, big world like that, you know, could really be under the surface and was beautiful at every... So, I was actually really uh, let down Mm -hmm. by the fact that it it didn't feel as much that way. There was so much blank space and so much, so many details that weren't filled or so just so much color that was lacking. So many confined frames, like we're getting close-ups instead of vast underwater vistas we're having five mermaids where we feel like there should be hundreds yeah it, it all, all that stuff just felt much smaller i and, had the exact same feeling and less even even the animation style itself felt less beautiful you know what it made me think of saturday morning cartoons yeah it just felt a little this is the that didn't help. It didn't do it any favors that we came straight from Sleeping Beauty to this. Right. We, I think the, anybody we would... came straight from the single most artsy, beautifully artsy Disney movie of all time, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to to The Little Mermaid. But I did expect it to... I actually tried to research if they had messed it up somehow. I wondered if they hadn't cleaned like it up. restoration. Like they hadn't cleaned fail. it up too much and taken out some of the contours and the dirt and the stuff that would have actually made it look better because it looked so clean and so broad and so cartoony that yeah it really did lack that that epic scope that that i remembered i didn't find any evidence for that but yeah yeah so i I remember so i was disappointed just from a expectation of visual spectacle Mm -hmm. so there's that you know the all the numbers they all hold up right 
Um, the music's fantastic music's across great. the board. Ursula is a whole lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Sebastian's a whole lot of fun. Well, let me just it's say because I think I, I think I know where you're driving here. My sort of hot take on all the all everything you've said so far is that. I think this movie occupies a strange place in history right now, especially for our generation. I think it's the sort of movie that you give it another 10 years and pretty much everybody will be able to look back on it as a classic from back then. Uh You detract 10 years and everybody can just like it as a thing from now. But it's kind of in that weird netherworld. It's a little bit like going back to watch A New Hope. Where it's like this is a basically a modern blockbuster, but it's also a lot slower and more boring and yeah. less well done than you know your average Marvel movie. And your brain, or my brain, as someone who grew up with it and just thought it was the state of the art, exciting thing, can't always make the leap. Like I can't just assign it to it's old and they're doing things the old way. Nor can I usher it forward into the new and say, oh well, it's just part of the canon of new stuff it's just occupying like like my kids will just look at it probably and say that's an old movie um which is fine and they'll watch a little little mermaid and think oh well you know you got sleeping beauty you got little mermaid they're all old disney movies little mermaid kind of the same movie and so i can make the mental i can do the mental gymnastics to forgive what's old about it or to accept or understand what's old about it but for us particularly it's it's supposed to be special yeah. And it and it's not. Like if you can actually just do the gymnastics to say it's old. Right. I think it actually feels better that way. Absolutely. But it has this aura or mystique or just nostalgia or just the memory of your childhood that says, No, this was a special thing. Right, this this should a, be in this the was same new. This was fresh. This was a reinvention of yeah. everything Disney had done before. And it actually just doesn't feel that way at all. No. Some of that is just that also the context of Disney following that Broadway formula ever since then. Right. Even maybe if we had gone through the entirety of the Disney canon in order, instead of bouncing from princess movie to princess movie, it would, it actually would feel very refreshing to come to the little mermaid coming out of great mouse detective and Oliver and company and Aristocats and you know, whatever else. Oh, we're finally getting to the, Hey, something that actually works again. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but so far, we've done three princess movies that all- Are all classics. In are all classics. Way. They all actually work right. just fine. And The Little Mermaid does not stand out in that crowd at no, all. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. The music can push it up to number two. Ursula can push it up to number two. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's just not- I could flip a coin between uh, Cinderella and The Little Mermaid. Yeah, I mean- the music's great, and in my life, I think when I became an adult, I just from, from on a whim, this was before Spotify, I got a CD of Disney music from the library just to listen to some of my childhood stuff, and I remember specifically hearing the songs from The Little Mermaid, and just, you know, I was having that adult movie where you go back to something as a kid and you realize, not that it was crap, but that it was really good. Yeah. Like, oh, this wasn't people juggling and standing on their head to entertain me as a kid. This Fort, was, Fort, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this was artists working at the top of their game. And these lyrics are the best that a great lyricist had to, you know, all that whole run. I can't do any of it, but the oboe plays the Bobo and the, the hot crustacean band. It's like, yeah, this is all really clever, really fun, really crafty, really adult in the best sense of the word. It's, it's like, this is good stuff. Yeah. This is sophisticated musical theater. It sort of made me fall in love with musical theater in general. I think like just, this is this is how good it can be. Yeah. So the score is great and the lyrics is, are great. Yeah. And, but then you also have to deal with uh, something else that is, uh, there, there are two aspects to this that we have to talk about. Right. One is the politics of the movie and the other is just the huge step towards overt sexualization that Disney has taken. Right. And I assume those were movie. the two things you were driving to earlier, right? I Yeah. We were going to talk about it eventually. Right. I mean, up until now, I mean, come on, guys. We've got a teenage girl wearing seashells as her bikini. Yeah, and a frankly pretty tight-fitting skirt of a fish fin. Yeah, very form-fitting fish fin thing. And we've got her, like, popping up out of the water naked Mm. and all this stuff, you know, covering things with her legs, you know, just the way things are positioned. I really don't like to be that podcast. 
I really don't like to be those guys, those the boring, stodgy, stuffy Christians who, oh, well, I can't stand the fact that the Little Mermaid had to not be as well-dressed as a land. But as I watched it, I was like, oh. It's scandalous. We, we do actually need to be that those guys because this is, yeah, this is it's not, not good. cool. And then- And, and there's the, a lot of it. it. There's a whole lot of it all over the place. And having not seen the movie since probably before I hit puberty, it was like, oh, this movie actually- you know, it never struck me that way because I was just a little kid, but there it, it led some teenage boys astray, you know? There's no like, question. Yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, it's it's almost just in that crass sort of like, it's not almost, it just, it just straight up is in that crass, let's throw something for in there for daddy kind yeah. of cynicism mm-hmm. that, that Disney was going to adopt and, or Disney's always played with, but I mean- really has never been full on into it the way that they were here. Yeah, I mean, their heroes have always been, or their heroines have always been the paragon of feminine beauty for the time. And if you if you know 50s, you know, icons like Jane Mansfield or Marilyn Monroe or Audrey Hepburn, it's fun, it's fun to watch, see, look at the princesses and think, oh, well, okay, they they were always kind of doing something for daddy. But this is a whole It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. And the fact is, I guess if feminism has given us anything, it's come back around on, right. on, on that stuff. So when they remake it for live action, just like with Jasmine, Ariel is going to be much more modest in the live action remake than she, than she is in the... Yeah, and there'll be a lot less just general Well, stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of little weirdnesses. It's like, if you stop and think about it, where's Ariel's mom and why does Triton have like 12 daughters who are all the same age? Mm-hmm. Like, just all kinds of weirdnesses like that. Yeah. The other thing that, that I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to have to talk about this, but the, the other thing that just makes it feel weird is that it's not a woman. It is like a girl. Yeah. And they, they really- she's 16. They really they, split the difference. They say she's 16. In some ways, she looks like she's 14. Her voice is like the voice of a 29-year-old. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know what I want to say about that besides that it makes me feel a little queasy. Yeah, they're playing with all kinds of different lines there. Yeah. And, you know, she's a mermaid, so she's not even human, so they can kind of get away with it. At least that's the way that, you know, they're going to justify it and encourage other people to justify it. Mm-hmm. So then you move from her to Ursula. Oh, man, the crassness with which she is animated. You know, don't underestimate the importance of body language. Body language? Yeah. Blows my... I mean, the... um, How do we talk about this? The... Uh, coding. Well, the coding... For sure. But I, I mean, I expected, look, if you want to make an excuse, you can't make an excuse for it, but bad guys in Hollywood have always been gay. It's that you could, you could actually, gay people will, will complain about this, right? Like the yep. LGBTQ, whatever. They will say they always coded us as villains because conservatives were scared of us. And I think we would say, yes, they did. And oftentimes, rightfully so. You watch an old 40s movie, oftentimes the Nazi commandant will be a very effete. Yeah, character. Bad guys have been coded as gay since for a long, long time. But to lean into it with this kind of camp cabaret, yeah, not not even coded. Like it's 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 gone from subtext to basically to just text. text. Like yeah. this is just a butch lesbian. Yeah, this is like they based the design on Divine, who is a famous uh, trans drag, drag, drag queen, queen. Yeah, man. Yeah, and and which is why there's been a lot of controversy about who's going to play Ursula in live action. Should it be a drag queen mm-hmm. or should it be a lesbian? You know, and and they, I mean, there are a lot of people really upset and really uptight about you know who's playing Ursula. It's what's her face now, Melissa McCarthy. I Melissa think. McCarthy. Yeah, and the fact that they just cast a fat cis girl mm-hmm. instead of a man or a lesbian or somebody who's bisexual or... But then it gets complicated because if if you're a LBGDG, whatever, lobbyist, do you want your villain, your evil villain... Exactly. ...to be played, the the one evil villain in the story to be played by the one non-cis Character. actor? Is, yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, so there's just all kinds of... You, you go and don't do it, but if you wanted to, you could go Google this stuff and there's just article mm. and article and... Twitter commentary and all kinds of stuff. But it, it it was it was brazen in a way that I'd forgotten about or just never understood as a kid. Like if you if you talk about coding, it's like they are actively decoding it for us yeah. <laughs> in this movie. Like where it would have you know Maleficent, let's say she's got some some glam. She's got going. some glam characteristics going on. 
Corella Deville probably not a big fan of um, men in right. general. Like the bad guys have always been quote unquote coded that way, but Ursula is just like out, yeah. <laughs> basically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the crassness with which she's animated, like her bottom and her top, are what she performs with. Uh, yeah, what are, she uses. They are very explicitly drawn in a way that I didn't remember. Well, explicitly drawn and then used as crassly as as a butch lesbian comedian would use them. Right. The whole run about body language and what men want. And yep. by the way, can I also say, maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, what a fantastic <laughs> scene and song <laughs> and moment oh, no, in the movie. It's, I mean, from a... It's probably the best part of the movie. Ursula, uh, the poor and fortunate souls is a great number. It, well, tension and drama and chemistry and... And a villain that's just so colorful, ham- so hateful, so yeah. understandable at the same time. It's just... Yeah. It's great. Yeah. The greatness of it is the is what makes it so terrible. They are drawing very explicitly on things. And it is that kind of... It gives you a little bit of that dirty feeling that you get when you realize how subversive... It's the feeling that I always get like watching an old Spielberg movie. I love Spielberg, but there was something about the sexual politics of that generation of movie brats where it was just always like, we're going to have Indiana Jones having deflowered Marion when she was young. Yeah. And we're just always going to put something like that in the movie because we think it makes it edgy and adult and maybe gives it a little something to for daddy then there's nothing else like that in the movie. And it's supposed to kind of, what they would say is it goes over kids' heads and gives something for the adults to kind of smirk about. But it's that, it's that let's give the adults something to smirk about that makes me feel queasy. It's like, A, why, why should an adult, are, are you encouraging something good in me when you give me something to smirk about that the kids don't get? Answer no. And B, do the kids really not, not get, get it, it? Or are the kids really not affected by it, even if they don't fully understand it? Right. And the answer is no. Right. Kids are affected by that sort of thing, whether they understand it or not. And that is the danger of all this stuff, you know? Yeah. And sometimes you don't see the effects for a long time or understand the effects. Like, I don't want to scare people off, but if you just decided that The Little Mermaid wasn't for you, wasn't for your family, I think you could do worse than... Heck than yeah. making that decision. Heck yeah, I, I don't think that we'll ever watch it again. Yeah, and I feel- I, I have absolutely I, no reason for us to ever watch it again as a family. And I feel no tension about that. I feel no desire to apologize for Jake's censoriousness or make space. I mean, so there's that. And then there's the other thing. There's so many other things out there to watch. I mean, for 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 goodness sake, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Why, why, why expose your kids to that? Especially, you know, when what you're getting out of it is what? Let, you know, let's shift to messaging now. Right, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the other thing we need to talk about, which is the messaging in this movie just sucks. <laughs> is there a worse movie that we could think of as far as just the, let's make the rebellious teenager completely sympathetic and give no sympathy to any kind of authority figure? I guess they do give a little they sympathy do, to Triton. but... but- but the idea is but that they don't give sympathy to his discipline. Right. What they do is they they let him they give sympathy to him by letting him undercut it. And by letting him for repent our, of it at the end. And then letting him repent of it. So humans are dangerous. They kill our and eat our friends. Mm-hmm. And they would be afraid of you and try to kill you. All true. Right. All true things. So stay away from the surface. Right. Cuz I don't want you to be killed. You're a 16-year-old girl. Seems like a pretty responsible dad. Not only is she playing at the surface, she has fallen in love with one of these dudes. And she has a whole secret treasure trove of things where she is like cultivating this forbidden interest. And like almost getting killed by a shark to get a dinglehopper. Yeah. (laughs) And so dad loses his mind. Like, I mean, think about this. He's put on this great big ball, this big musical performance. I don't know if he's paid fish money or mer money or whatever. Right. Like, you know, a lot's gone into all this thing. And, you know, his daughter has just absentmindedly blown it all off to go play in abandoned shipwrecks and pick up dinglehoppers and snarf blacks. Right. Like, and, and it, yeah, and is almost going to die being chased by a shark. This is just what she does. She's gone and she's fallen in love with it. She's just like the most re- absolutely rebellious 
disrespectful, unthinking, uncaring girl you can imagine, and we're supposed to love her for Willing it. to get, put her friends in danger. Come on, little boy, let's go dumpster diving Just, while I'm supposed to be at my sweet 16 party that everybody's been planning for. I mean, yeah. can we translate this into normal? <laughs> <laughs> my dad has hired the court composer, has paid the court composer to compose music for this, for me to sing at it. Like, yeah, all of this like stuff. He's been really excited about showing me off because he thinks I'm great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of his favorite. <laughs> and screw that. Right. And we as an audience are supposed to have zero sympathy for Triton's point of view. We have sympathy no. for the fact that- Ariel, you know, the music thunders and it's like, oh no. Right. <laughs> We're supposed to think, oh, she just wants to have fun, you know, and she just wants to be part of our world, which is actually really great after all. Well, the thing I kept thinking is it would actually be relatively simple to tell almost the exact same story and tell it well, because a kid wanting to differentiate is a good story. Yeah. A dad being worried and having to figure out the line between love and discipline and all that with a daughter who's yeah, growing and, up is and, a good story. And learning how to cope with his fears about that. You know, every father is going to, uh, every father has to deal with his fears about his kids differentiating. There's just no. But if, but if we made a movie where Bob's daughter, you know, he found like all the whatever, the the emo leather stuff that she'd been hiding from him and then he threw it away and we weren't supposed to have any sympathy for Bob. Yeah. I think you could, I think even a pagan could have sympathy for Bob. Like, yeah. you were hiding, all the stuff that I've explicitly forbidden, you were lying to my face about and hiding from me. And cultivating this whole, uh, all, none of this stuff represents what's great about the outside world. All of this stuff represents your absolute rebellion mm-hmm. you're unwilling you, you, you your unwillingness to hear what i have to say and your and your absolute willingness to hide it all from me right and so yeah i'm blowing it up like right <laughs> i don't think triton was that out of line to just start blowing stuff up in her cave of wonders like no, i don't think so I, but disney says he was right disney's telling your kids that he was right and this is maybe the most overtly evil message we will deal with in all the Disney movies we're going to talk about in this series, actually. I can't immediately think of one that's worse. Dad really should have just let his daughter run wild and should have never disciplined her. And if he had it, then she would have never gone to the Sea Witch. Hmm. And he could have just, he had the power all along to make all her dreams come true if he would have just listened to her and loved her and learned the lesson that Sebastian learned, you know, as said all along. It's like I always say, mm. <laughs> children got to be free to live their own lives. And, you know, right. you always say that. Yeah. We've actually got a great corollary in The Lion King where they do it properly, where it's like Mufasa is not going to be happy with Simba just going into the elephant graveyard. The elephant and he's grade line. right. And, and he's right. The and the movie says scene, he's right. That's the one of the best scenes of that movie is like that little moment where it's, you take uh, Nala home, I've got to teach my son a lesson. Right. <laughs> Simba. <laughs> and then he puts his paw in the big paw. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that gulp, that that little shiver down your spine, that's real and that's good. Yeah. And then it ends with them rolling and tussling and it's like, yeah, that that is great. Like that is, that's a good dad. And that's and the movie knows it. And the movie knows it. And that's why that scene connects on such a visceral level. That's why if you are in the right mood or whatever at that moment, you can cry at that scene because it's just right. And you know it. And we've all been there. Probably most of us for adults on both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think The Little Mermaid actually could have done all those. You, you wouldn't have to change the structure of the story at all. You just change the details of a few scenes and you actually have a very effective story of everybody coming to terms i mean what has to happen though is you have to realize that it wasn't cool that she went to the sea witch and everybody the entire kingdom the entire ocean suffered for it yeah and she's got to deal with those consequences before she gets her happy ending well you know and if eric wasn't there to save her right you know if eric wasn't there to kill the sea witch the whole world was gonna be drowned right (laughs) (laughs) there has to be at least a little bit of that feeling of you were selfish But it doesn't really, the closest you get is the little tinge of remorse when daddy overwrites her name. But that doesn't feel like I'm sorry for the spin, the sin. It barely feels like I'm sorry for the spanking. It really just feels like. 
it well it really feels like oh daddy really loves her and mm-hmm. it's really just about actually triton's a softy deep down you know yeah and as so we've it, been telling you over and over and so we should so he should be yeah and so he should be he totally should have given over the ocean and the power of the wind and waves to an evil witch in order to protect his daughter for half a minute before the witch turns around and kills her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Yep. I mean, I guess we could talk about a couple other smart things that the movie does when it has rules like the unbreakable contract. Yeah, although, again... It's, it's got this backstory of Ursula having lived within the palace walls that we don't know about. All these poor, unfortunate souls. I feel like the this movie, it's kind of like in that weird halfway place, though, where they're trying to color things in and give some psychological depth to it all. But the psychological depth, in some ways, works against the fairy tale right. of it all. And that's always a tension. Well, that's always the tension, right? Well, it's what we would talk about with Maleficent, right? Like right. Maleficent is stronger for having no backstory and who's been actually tempted to go watch the Maleficent movies to figure out the backstory. Not Yeah, me neither. Right. Although a creepy, I think Lana Del Rey version of Once Upon a Dream came on, on Spotify the other day. And I was like, oh, maybe I do want to see Malef-. And then that was over. And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Beauty and the Beast is where they get it right. Although there's people... There's a lot of people on the internet that complain about beauty. We'll talk about this next time, I guess, but they complain about beauty and the beast because it's like, if we're supposed to take the psychology seriously, then suddenly we have to deal with Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. We have to deal with why the, we have to deal with bestiality. We have to deal with, with the animal, why these candlestick and everybody are all enabling the beast. And so in the stupid, uh, live action version, they try to solve all those problems and it's pretty clunky. Like yeah. we were there when he was bad. So now we're going to suffer, you know, they throw in just some random dialogue to try and answer the internet's question. But I think Beauty and the Beast actually gets it right. Like, they shade it in, they give it some nice depth, but they let it be fairy tale. It's it's the perfect balance. With Little Mermaid, you feel like they're trying to do that, but then it's like, oh man, if, if Ariel, Ariel's a real girl and I'm supposed to take her seriously, what a stupid bargain. I can't be sympathetic to this. Yeah. You're going to give up your voice? Yeah, it's like... Just like- your voice, you are your voice. You're famous for your voice. Everybody loves you for your voice. Like it, it is your well, and then your there, the, yeah, yeah. And then there is there, then there's this other reality that you know you're not supposed to ask the question. She read the contract, she signed the contract, but somehow it's never going to occur to her to write things down to communicate yeah. with Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, my name is Ariel. I saved you from your shipwreck. I had a beautiful voice. I had a beautiful voice, but I lost it. I'm not going to try to explain to you this weirdness about I'm actually a mermaid who traded something in a deal with a sea witch because you're not going to understand it. But here is the truth. I had a beautiful voice. I was singing to you. I've lost my voice. And just so you know, no pressure, but if I don't get true love's first kiss from you, (laughs) then things will go very poorly for me. (laughs) Yeah, you're not supposed to ask those questions. And I think it's easier with the older ones to not ask those questions because everything is purposely two-dimensional. Right. Once we start shading in these characters and it's like, she's just like a real girl. It's like, well, a real girl would be smart enough to The more that you try to make things psychologically real, the more you try to make things three-dimensional, the more you have to cover your butt when it comes to questions like that. Right. Because you're inviting the audience to ask those questions. If you're going to talk about motivation, then you have to talk about the details. And so- There's a smart way to do that. It's not that everything has to be flat in a fairy tale. Right. Right. Look, I I don't think that we can or should be too hard on the storytelling of this movie. It was a blockbuster for a reason. Mm -hmm. It did what it did. It opened the door for the Renaissance for a reason. And they were figuring things out and they got a lot of things right. Well, and I will say for me, the most successful watching it in hindsight now, the most successful section of the movie is act two where she's lost her voice and she... A, she becomes, I think, a, we don't we don't have to put up with this early teenager bit anymore. She becomes yeah. a sympathetic character once she's this kind of naive. I'm going to comb my hair with a fork. Right. I'm confused. Oh, no. That was not impressive. Crap. Now what? It's like one of, it's like that Jodie Foster movie. <laughs> now I'm going to ride the carriage. Woo! <laughs> where the girl grows up in the wilderness and then she learns, you know, that's always a fun story. The yeah. alien creature that comes and Starman why did you speed up mr alien because red means stop greens mean go and yellow means speed up i've observed your ways you know it's it's that kind of <laughs> yeah. like 
the naive person perceiving the world and confusing it and all that's pretty great she's a much more i mean i hate to agree with ursula i I don't think all women have to be silent all the time but ariel is in (laughs) fact a more attractive person without her stupid voice um (laughs) (laughs) the men up there don't like a lot of blather they think a girl that gossips is a bore (laughs) it's she who holds her tongue that gets her man on land it's much preferred for ladies not to say a word I mean, uh, after all, what is idle prattle for? Ariel actually, it, she actually becomes a more sympathetic character once she doesn't talk and she has to just be sweet. And then kiss the girl. And then, well, Jake, it's great if you're Harvey Weinstein, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's great yeah, if you, you believe in sexual assault. If you believe in kissing without prior consent, then yeah, pretty great song, I guess. Uh, pretty sure she's consenting. She's over there like batting, batting her. her eyelashes and well, puckering Jake, her lips and I think that that's what all such predatory men say. I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure she was consent isn't that like Oh, come on. The classic toxic masculinity answer. Oh, come on. <laughs> Please. Her whole goal was to get that kiss. Yeah, still. <laughs> She's like, "Yes, I agree. I will try to get this man to kiss me in the span of three days, or I will become a little plant in your garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, by the way, horrifying. Yeah. Those, those the, guys her, are her garden of horrifying creatures, hor- hell creatures or whatever is shriveled souls. One of the, of one of the scariest things from a Disney movie. Deal with the devil. Right. Yeah. Ursula packs some, some actual fear into her camp performance like she's a villain to be taken seriously even though yeah, she's don't mess with that she's woman. funny and everything yeah and she's like she's just kind of like camp sing talk you pressure you into something that like how insane of a deal was that <laughs> it was a bad deal but you can actually we, we can talk about how stupid of a deal it was and how stupid of a contrivance it was but you can also imagine a headstrong naive girl in that moment finally giving in to an ursula Right. You know, and just signing it. Well, that's where... That is why, as you said earlier, that that is maybe the best scene of the whole movie the, because of the tension, because of the pressure, because of just the fun camp vaudeville burlesque. Yeah. It's great. I mean, I think I, I listened to a podcast on the... Um, the score. It's called Art of the Score and they did one on this and this and they talked about the cabaret influence and I think Ursula's song, if I remember correctly, is pretty explicitly like a German cabaret number, the way that it's put together, the um, kinds of music that it uh, uses. That makes sense. Dun, 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 dun. Like the, just that kind of, that rhythm, that beat is... You just did Aladdin. I did do Aladdin, but, <laughs> but it's that slinky kind of... Bum, 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 bum. Yep. Hello, boys, that kind of feel to it. <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, and they really leaned into it. It's a great number. It's just... Once again, if we were actually allowed, if the kids were actually allowed to look down on Ariel, if you're, if you were actually allowed, I guess in some sense you are supposed to say, don't do it, but you're always supposed to be completely sympathetic to it. It should be like, oh, you idiot. It would be a stronger, more powerful movie, I think. Yeah. Well, the idea that daddy drove her to it is just a bad, that was a bad move. No, I think we could make it, that's how she feels and she's being a brat and she's thoroughly punished for it and then she gets what she wants because it's a happy movie with a, you know, like a Jane Austen story or something. Sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's just hold this to the standard of the greatest novelist who ever lived. There's a way to tell this story. There's a way to change. She's got to learn a real lesson. Right. And part of the problem is, I mean, even the contrivance of she's got to give up her voice really keeps her from learning a lesson. If Eric's like, sorry, babe, like, Let's let her keep her voice. Mm-hmm. Let's just let Ursula have a laugh about true love's kiss in three days, please. Mm-hmm. And then let's have Eric be like, I don't know who you think you are. Like, great that you saved me. And yeah, I've been sort of like infatuated with this like dream girl thing, but like, I got to get to know you. <laughs> yeah, let's go on a few dates. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, and then she turns in back into a mermaid because Eric is just being like, a normal guy who's going to be like chill about this. Like, mm-hmm. and then she realizes from a really hard lesson that she's been an impetuous brat this whole time and it's all her fault and she's gotten everything she deserves. And then daddy and Eric can team up and yeah. save her. And then she being thoroughly humbled can resign herself to instead of longingly looking at Eric on the shore again, mm-hmm. <laughs> she can, she can just be like daddy, uh, you know, the prodigal daughter, you know, I, I'm not worthy of being a, a servant in your house. Mm-hmm. And daddy can be like, you know what, 
babe, I think you learned your lesson. Here, 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 here are your legs. <laughs> yeah, that'd be sweet. <laughs> and Eric could be like, all right, let's start over now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could fairy tale it up a little bit from there, maybe. But, yeah, but there's a way to do this. And it's not just the, uh, I guess me and Jake are just jerks that like to see women get punished because we're misogynists. <laughs> But no, or, I actually like stories like Emma, not just because well, no, I, look, I like look, to see- we've compared this to The Lion King. Right. And Simba is a man, a boy, a man. Simba learns a lesson. You can't run from your problems. Mm-hmm. You have to take responsibility. Get over yourself and do your job. The whole kingdom's gone to crap because you weren't there and you've not been there. And everyone suffers because you won't take responsibility for yourself. You- can't just whine about your daddy being dead. Mm-hmm. You've got to become him now. And sorry, sorry that life has sucked for you. Man up, kid. And that's Simba's lesson, and it's a great lesson. The particularly obnoxious thing about whatever wave of feminism, I want to say third, but I but who knows, that was happening during the 90s is that it was like, we get to whine and there's no, I mean, this is always feminism, but I think particularly that moment in history, it was like, Dr. Hammond, you're going to seriously say that a man should go out in the dinosaurs, you know, you know, and fight fight dinosaurs. Right. I'm a woman. You know, it's just always that like I'm going to have a big Samuel chip Samuel L. Jackson's going to die, but I'm not. Right. I'm going to have a big chip on my shoulder and everything that I do is right and I don't have to take responsibility for yeah. anything. And I think we've gotten more sophisticated in oh, our yeah. evil since then. Oh yeah. It's obnoxious, you know, there's a two-dimensionality to the feminism of this movie that uh, doesn't help it. Is there anything else to talk about in The Little Mermaid? We talked a lot about what we didn't like. I mean, those are glaring enough problems that it's a, it is I mean, a, I guess a, a little I, hard to enjoy I guess we've movie. talked about Ariel. I'm sure that there are... Uh, should we talk about King, King Triton being a beefcake of an old man? <laughs> like, <laughs> I did notice that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to put up with a lot of stuff in this movie. Yeah. You got to put up with a lot of convenient hair when she gets her legs. And I mean, that scene, I mean, I'm sorry, but especially like 12 year old boys and 13 year old boys. I remember what it was like to be one of those. And they do not, they're not too sophisticated for, (laughs) for that sort of thing. Yeah. They, they find it to be titillating. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. All right. What about Eric? How does he rank as far as princes go? Well, he's super dreamy because he's an awesome sea captain who, has a great relationship with his dog and a, a wonderfully sweet relationship to the old man, Grim. And, you know, he doesn't take himself seriously. We get to see, you know, the st- Grimm statue of him. And he's like, yeah. He's also a prince. And yet there's no king. And he basically, I think, just rules the kingdom or... But that involves just doing whatever he wants and... Yeah, and he can marry whoever he wants, Not doesn't have a lot of pressures. And... We're getting rid of the old Disney standby of the fussy prince's dad who just wants, wants grandchildren. Wants son to give him grandchildren, yeah. Give him a kind of major domo or butler or whatever that guy was yeah. to fill that role. I like Derek fine, I guess. He's fine. I, I, again, did feel the tension of... We're shading these characters in three-dimensionally, and yet we're going to still go with we can fall in love with each other in two seconds. I know you don't really have a story without that. Yeah. So I don't want to be too hard on it. But there again, the beauty Eric's of the beast. Eric's going to go save his standard. dog, you know, be sure everybody gets to the boats. He's going to go save the dog. I was willing to forgive that. I wouldn't forgive a real person. Like, I hate in uh, Man of Steel when... Kevin Costner goes and gets himself killed. Pa Kent, of all people, a farmer... Yeah. I mean, does, has anyone ever known a farmer and how they treat their animals? Like, they treat them with respect if they're a good farmer, but there's no way that character is going to go save that dog. It would never, never happen. happen. Any no, real... Just, he is just a dog. Man of the land, he's any real man of dog. any type would laugh at that scene. It's stupid. It's so dumb. So I don't like that kind of thing. On the other hand, in the Disney world, all animals are basically sentient, so... I was willing to forgive Eric. I was willing to not hold the movie to that particular standard when he went back for Max. I suppose a kid could learn the long, wrong lesson, but yeah. I'll cut him some slack there. Mac rec- Max recognizes Ariel. He and Ariel have that cute thing where they both blow the yeah. tussle off there. You know, she blows her bangs up and he blows his... I like Max. He's a good dog. He's Max a good, is a good dog. He's a good boy. Yeah, I like Max. I will say Eric got some good do- daring do and one of the nastiest most awesome villain deaths yeah of all time he just rammed that <laughs> that ship into First of her all, he just straight up dives into 
the middle of a hurricane with a harpoon mm-hmm. manages to see what's happening in the black depths of the ocean at night, hits her with the harpoon, makes it back to the surface. Yeah, and then he climbs the rigging of a ship and- Pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Pretty mm-hmm. epic. Impales the sea witch. Impales the sea witch. And then we uh, see her detritus floating all around everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's got a- Disney, of course, famous for their brutal- villain deaths but that might be take the cake it's pretty brutal there are others that are more abstractly like if you think about them they're worse like scar getting eaten alive or but in terms of what we yeah i mean gaston just plummets to his death there's a guy in tarzan that hangs himself which is pretty intense. oh yeah there's a lot of intense disney villain deaths it's one of the things that i think they do well actually because i think kids enjoy that kind of thing shikhan doesn't die he just runs away with the no that's for well that's from the era of that's from the the post-classic pre-renaissance era that i love so much uh where everything has low stakes and the movies really are just for kids and the sheriff and the king are just gonna end up on a chain gang and nobody's gonna get hurt and yeah there's not going to be a lot of drama, but there will be a lot of fun slapstick. And I understand why people like those movies. And I don't mean to be condescending about them. I like them too. I really do. And one day we just have to talk about them so that I can stop making snide asides about them. Yep. Um, I just think that they get more love than they actually deserve as artistic artifacts. I think people let nostalgia cloud the issue. So I, Nathan, am have appointed myself the person that will... Get rid of all those clouds of nostalgia so you can see accurately. You're welcome, humanity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Am I? You a, know, what? I think I'm just allowed to like what I like, and I like Robin Hood. Don't you feel like maybe somebody should tell you you're wrong about that? <laughs> no, it's a dumb Disney movie, for goodness sake. <laughs> okay, I think Eric's a good prince. I'm glad that it's refreshing to see that it, within my lifetime, they were making movies where the prince actually could still save the princess. Bet you that doesn't happen in the remake. Maybe it does, mm. like, at the last possible moment, but it'll only be after she swims through a hurricane and saves, saves him, him. And yeah. da 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 How do we feel about the supporting characters? This is the first movie without birds to... Fish or birds of the sea. Yeah, fish are birds of the sea. Particularly tuna. Tuna. I guess. Chicken of the sea. This is a chicken of the sea, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, what are you going to do? But how would you rank the supporting cast? The Top-notch, com- Sebastian... Sebastian's awesome. Yeah, Flounders. Eh, he's just kind of like a. Yeah, he's just like her. Sc- Scuttle's her fun. You know, Scuttle's interesting because I've never been able to remember his name. I've never really been able to remember his shtick. I think of him as kind of a classic Disney. The watch was witching in the mirror. Yeah, I don't know. He kind of gets. And she was singing with a stolen set of pipes. Is Scuttle here? I guess here's my question: Is Scuttle tier A or tier B when it comes B. to? He's B. I mean, I did, when it comes but, to side supporting characters, yeah, no, he's not. He's, he's not, not top. He's much. not like Lumiere. Or, no way. You know, they need a. He's a bird, by the way. That's true. Though so they did get us a bird, and they got a they they got us somebody that could be an intermediary between in relation to Ariel. Yeah, he's a good ah, man. Was there a moment? It, there was a moment, right? Am I imagining this where they paid kind of a wink they winked at the idea of a princess singing to birds like where there's some during the kiss the girl number where there's some birds congregating and then sebastian jumped in and waved them away or something like that i mean just a kind of just a, like a two second nod to the fact that usually we'd have the birds obnoxiously sing to the girl but instead we're doing something else yeah but i mean the birds i mean the flamingos sang and were awesome and but yes there was a there were birds crowding you know around it's when Scuttle interrupts and does his terrible yeah. singing. Wow, wow, right. that, that crap. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, I I can do a good Scuttle. Yeah, he, that was a great Scuttle. <laughs> it's like Scuttle Scuttle himself was in the studio <laughs> for Jaco. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, good. Yeah, so I don't know. The birds are there. I, I don't know. I would count it. I'm counting it. I think Sebastian alone puts this movie in the top two or three supporting casts of Disney. Sebastian's a great character. Yep. And his adventure with the French chef is an amazing... Le Poisson. Le Poisson. That is a great set piece yep. in the best Disney tradition. I mean, that nobody does comedy danger like Disney at their best. And that scene is that scene is like for kids actually pretty scary, but also pretty funny. Uh, I, I really love that they just leaned into it and went full on. Uh, what's that song? 
This is like full on comedy music. Yep, yep, we, yep. Didn't, we didn't write something. We just went for the that. most obvious thing possible. That's what you got to love kind of <laughs> before the movie version of the Broadway play had become such a cliche. They are more innocent about it. I think now, like even something like Frozen, we're going to have scenes where we kind of wink at the fact that we're a musical and we're doing musical things and but no winking here we're just a musical and we love it we love being a musical and we'll do musical things like have the choir sing us out at the end and yeah. you know put in some little strains of whatever that circus music is so sebastian's great flounder's boring it's got i guess sebastian really is the supporting cast but he alone elevates the supporting cast to to top yeah. tier status I mean, there's Sebastian, and then there's Flounder and Scuttle, and if you want to give Max and Grimsby. Sure. They're fine. Yeah. But there's also, Sebastian can bring in fish and birds, and his he's got a coterie of animals to yeah. help him make his points whenever he needs to. Yeah, he's he's able to just rally the troops whenever he's got a time for a number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I have to imagine, you know, it's just the power of Disney. How many people decided that they liked rage decided that they liked jamaican music decided that they and i'm sure true fans of those art forms think it's lame and stupid and vanilla and but as a gateway drug for a whole cultural experience this movie's yeah powerful yeah uh let's see what else is there to say about the little mermaid the music's really great i think we said that a few times we said it a few times yeah i think part of your world which apparently was almost cut because they did a... Ooh, what they, a mistake that would have been. I yeah. mean, if they wanted to rewrite it so that she wasn't like... Bright young women, sick of swimming. Ready to stand. You know, I actually like those. Those those are the one lines where it's just so blatant that it actually feels like they are sharing a laugh about her naivete. Well, bet you on land they understand. But they don't... They don't re- re- reprimand their daughters. Right. Is, yeah. The movie... That's like an easy setup for the movie to then provide counter evidence. Like you you then want the scene where a daughter gets reprimanded or somebody gets reprimanded, like where she finds out actually. Yeah, but she don't even need it. And they knew that because every daughter who is sympathizing with Ariel at that moment is like, but they do. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That song actually feels like a more, the more well-rounded Ariel that I would have liked the Ariel where the movie was regarding her properly. Um, Yeah. yeah, I guess, I guess they did a test screening with a bunch of kids and the kids checked out during that number and started throwing things. And so Katzenberg, the head of Disney at the time said, we got to cut the number and everybody else on the team really fought for it and rightfully so because of course kids are going to throw things during the boring number but that doesn't mean you don't put the boring number in there's there's all kinds of things for kids and if you're disney and you're smart which you are you have sebastian doing slapstick in the background during yeah exactly the boring number you know and the kids can either be laughing at him or no right he's trapped in the cup (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna break something oh he broke a thing right uh no the Part of the World, lyrically and musically, probably one of the top five Disney songs of all time, I might say. In that vein, at least, in the more ballad vein. Like, if we're going with fun songs, then that opens up a whole other can of worms. But even there, Under the Sea yeah. has got to be one of the top. And villains, this movie, I mean, if you want to break it down into categories, this movie, you could make a good argument, has the best villain song, the best What I Want ballad and the best comedy comic, comic relief comic re- relief song it does not have the so best under, love ballad i don't think anybody would argue that there's a better love ballad in this than beauty and the beast or um what's the one with the magic carpet uh, uh whole new world whole new world or even can you feel the love tonight yeah but you can at least make a good argument that it has top villain top yeah scar's got a great number for villain songs i love scar's number i know a lot of people actually on. don't including john favreau apparently but Gaston's got a great... It's a comedy villain number. Comedy it's villain not, number. Do they also... Let's Kill the Beast. Yeah, that's right. Is the actual villain song. Yeah, right? and that's, that's pretty scary. It's a good number, but it's not... It's not a... It's not going to take the top. Let's just not catchy. Yeah. In the way that... But Be Prepared is 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 up there. Be Prepared is up there. I, I think I might still give it to souls, yeah. Poor Unfortunate Souls. It is 
so much fun, even if I wouldn't yeah. want to watch it with my kids. Is there a better What I Want song than Part of Your World, though? I mean, it's a great What I Want song, Motiv- the Hero's Motivation song. Yeah, well, Belle has a great one. She doesn't actually get a whole number, though. The townsfolk carry it, and then she has a little... How about Just Can't Wait to Be King? Just Can't Wait to Be King's pretty great. It Just Can't Wait to Be King straddles the line of the What I Want number with the sort of choral comic, you know... As does Aladdin's um, One Jump. One Jump, yeah. And those are both great. I mean, that this whole era of Disney music is great. I think Part of Your World is still, for me at least, the most transcendent. It's Well, it's the, it's the most transcendent if you're thinking just in terms of beautiful. But the other ones really want... You know, I think I think you know maybe they learned the lesson of part of your world, which was, hey, we got to get this what what I want thing that connects with people in a way that is really leaning into keeping the kids at this point in the movie because we don't have the hooks in them yet. Well, and there again, Beauty and the Beast does it best because we're able to have moments of real longing and aching for Belle, but we're also that's also in a context of humorous town folks and Gaston and all kinds of crazy things. We can actually stop for a moment. Oh, isn't it amazing? And maybe the kids will get bored for the 30 seconds of that. But even then, a sheep's eating her book, book yeah. which always bugged me after <laughs> she goes, she loves her book so much and she's just going to let a sheep eat it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one jump has got the tension of Aladdin not getting killed. Yeah. Which he's always on the verge of. Right. And he just wants to be able to survive. Yep. <laughs> just can't wait to be king as the tension of zazu oh you know what i just realized also on, on a parallel subject the greatest comedy big extravaganza number can't go to under the sea it has to go to um the genie i mean oh, there's wow. there's no topping yeah never got a friend like me or whatever that's called friend, yeah, like, friend, me. friend like me hakuna matata hakuna matata is great I, I mean i think man how do you even choose between hakuna matata friend like me be our guest and under the sea. And under the sea. And you could kind of throw Gaston in there. Yeah. Too, although it's a villain. But it is but those are all five kind of comic, awesome Broadway showstopper yeah. moments. And I don't know how you choose. I'm gonna go with uh I'll make a man out of you. I can't go with that. <laughs> I can't go with that. I'm not a feminist to start with. Oh. Um, which, which I guess you could argue. <laughs> which which of the rest of these movies is <laughs> is not feminist thing. Well, I mean, come on. Some of them, some of them work better than others for not feminists. Uh, the Lion King. Yeah, The Lion King's pretty great. <sighs> I think what we've come down to is that this is the era of great Broadway songs yep. in Disney. One, great Disney show tunes. One hit after another. See what I did there? Um, no, could you explain it, please? I used a line from Aladdin. Oh, to reference what we were doing. Oh, I okay. What was the line? One jump ahead of the whatever. I hit, turned it hit, into hit, okay. one hit after another. Like I said, oh, Disney, I, Disney was making one hit after, after, after another. another. Okay, th- well, that makes sense. That was yep. very clever of you. Thank you. Yeah. Sadly, Howard Mencken was already dying by this time. He ushered in the whole Broadway Disney style, which is so wonderful. And he was a homosexual gentleman that was dying of AIDS. I think he already had it and was already on his way out. He died before Aladdin came out, wrote maybe mm-hmm. half the score for that or wrote half the lyrics. And then Tim Rice came in and the lyrics, over. the lyrics were never better than under him. The lyrics were fine after like the, the, the Lion King lyrics are fun and, and we all remember them, but I submit to you the wit and the beauty of, even just something turns simple, of phrase. the turns of even just like tale as old as time, you know, Beauty and the Beast. Those lyrics, I would argue, are better than other the whole things. new world. Better than Can You Feel the Love Tonight, which doesn't even make sense. But Elton John, yeah. Anything else to say about Little Mermaid? Great villain, bad sexual politics, bad lots of things. Yep, but uh, some fun songs. Some fun songs. You know, I don't think I've ever been more sympathetic to my parents being fuddy duddies. Because I remember them being concerned about this movie when I was a kid. And not so much the seashell bra. I think that that managed to sort of just grandfather it in. Because it's Disney. It can't be bad. But the aerial rebellious teenager, I think that they were uncomfortable with that. And I've certainly done a 180 since I was a (laughs) eight-year-old. There you go. I've changed a little bit in the last two and a half decades or whatever it's been. (sighs) All right. 
uh, how many fish heads out of <laughs> nine? Les poissons. Les les poissons. Uh, out of nine, five, six. Five fish heads? Five, six. I, I can't. It's can't really hard six. to do. I want to give it like one fish head for this. the sex stuff and the character of Ariel. Nine for the songs. Nine for the songs. And seven for, or eight for pushing Disney forward and making Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and Aladdin possible. It's just like, yeah. Well, we can do whatever we want. Let's divide it out. So as a soundtrack, nine fish heads. As a cultural artifact that helped create something that we like, nine fish heads. Yeah. As an actual movie to sit down and watch. With your kids? Two. Two fish heads. I don't have kids, so I can afford to be more generous. Three. Good job. Three fish heads. So we average out to 2.5. Yep. I don't feel any desire to watch this movie if I'm not doing it for a podcast or something. Right. Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. It's a fun movie. Beauty and the Beast is a fun movie to watch with your wife on a, you know, Friday night, stay stay in date night. Right. Well, I did watch at least half of the second half of Little Mermaid my wife got home from, and I never didn't feel like we could be watching something else together. (laughs) I don't know people really love it then great then any of the movies produced by me executive produced by jake and me uh go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies you can get in-depth reviews of the clone wars animated series having a lot of fun doing that i think we're about to drop our episode on episode four destroy malevolence 1.4 baby 1.4 we've been moving at a glacial pace so (laughs) far but it's because we've actually nathan knew what was coming Nathan would be flying to get there. Well, to be fair, we've also we also end up talking a lot about these episodes. So yeah. we just love Clone Wars. We love Star Wars. If you like to hear us talk about Star Wars, then come behind the paywall. The water's fine. Until next time, it's a bandit bulbous snarf black. <laughs> <laughs>